0: We want the dynamite When the most rests in sight AEW, lighting up the fuse
1: Sit back and enjoy the bubble.
0: As we hear from John and Wayne Tate Where we're going, we don't need roads And if the buck stops here, yeah, this thing might blow Everything you hear are opinions of the show And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know
1: Hello, everybody. It is John Pollack and Wei Ting. Wei, long time, no talk. It's good
0: to catch up with you. How are you? I'm doing okay, John. You know, it's been a bit of a long day. and um, it? I feel like we're barely started. Um, So I'm I'm good, but uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the next hour plus of discussion that we're about to have.
1: Well, tonight we are doing a first. It is the post-wrestling doubleheader tonight. So we are going to kick off with our review of Dynamite. We'll also chat a couple of the news stories from today. And then uh, in approximately one hour, at the top of the hour, we are flipping over to the post-wrestling cafe for our review of the nine lives of Vince McMahon. We will be going through uh, that documentary that aired on Tuesday night. So for CAFE members, you already have the link to follow along and watch the podcast afterwards. And if you want to jump on board the CAFE, uh, you can do so over the next hour and have instant access and join us in about an hour. And we will go extensively into the documentary, what Way thought about it, what I thought about it, and adding, adding notes and uh, background to many stories that they tried to cover over the course of those two hours. So that is all on tap do want to mention that up next is up on the site from Tuesday night. And that is your new home, uh, here on the post wrestling channel Tuesday nights with Brayden and Davey. You can always catch, uh, up next as those two will be covering, uh, NXT. And that will be, uh, a focus of our first news story, but also, uh, to mention that we also have the BWE, the big fat wrestling quiz going live on Thursday at 3 PM. Eastern time, uh, with the whole crew I, i'm pretty sure it's 8 p.m eastern oh my goodness <laughs> yeah i i can't remember i thought it was you're right you're right we went through this whole thing yeah go to youtube.com slash post wrestling it's got the correct time right there it is all set to go so do check that out and and don't rely on on me uh this is okay i'm not i'm not gonna say anything uh it, it's there it's there the upcoming scrimp
0: Yes, it is. Yeah. Just bookmark it. Hit the bell note, note, notification icon. You'll be told right away. One last thing while we're doing some plugs here. Uh this weekend, of course, it's another edition of the Long and Winding Royal Road. This time WH Park will be speaking with our good friend Damian Abraham. And uh speaking of the Long and Winding Royal Road, the man has dropped a brand new t shirt over at storecing Look at this beauty here. The five pillars celebrating the additional pillar in uh of course one Junakiyama here. So Uh, Wonderful design. These shirts are our uh, biggest sellers. WH Park is a very popular man here at uh, the Post Wrestling store. So store.postwrestling.com. $25 gets you one of these shirts in either black or white. Go and check out the the, the logo right now and uh, listen to the show this Saturday. He is our
1: version of the acclaim. WH is a big merch mover here at Post Wrestling. Uh, check that out. It's, it's a beautiful shirt. Um, it looks, it looks tremendous. So there, there you have it. Uh, check it out. Store.postwrestling.com. And the final thing, uh, next week, the Christmas show is dropping. We are doing our annual jingle contest. You can send in your own, uh, Christmas jingle. We will review them all on the Christmas show. The deadline is next Wednesday. You can submit them, uh, on the thread at forum.postwrestling.com or email them to john at postwrestling.com. We are taking all submissions and we will see how the jingles fare this year on the Christmas show. And that will be dropping uh, next Friday, the Christmas show. So look out for that on December 23rd. We'll move on to the news. And the main story on Wednesday was the WWE releasing Mandy Rose. This was first reported uh, by Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful. And uh, I, I spoke to several people who confirmed she was done with the company. And this came after... The abrupt title change on Tuesday night, if you recall at deadline, they had already advertised that the two title matches involving the Iron Survivor Challenge winners, those matches would take place at New Year's Evil next month on January the 10th. Fast forward to Tuesday night, the opening segment sees Roxanne Perez make the spontaneous challenge. It is accepted by Mandy Rose and two hours later, her 413 day title reign is over. And in the reporting from Fightful, it seems that the main issue uh, is regarding Mandy Rose and coming down to these like third party um, applications. And this being a fan time page that she has been running and apparently enough that you're going to WWE has certainly relaxed things when it comes to talent being involved with third-party sites. It's not as rigid as it was um, when that edict w- was first uh, put down. But obviously this, it seems like whether it was uh, a concern about the the nature of the content that she was producing, uh, this was ultimately something that the um, sides, they were not going to be able to continue. And now Mandy Rose is done with the company. So there, there's a lot to this story, and it brings about many different uh, subjects such as, you know, talent using third parties and uh especially um the fact that this is, you know, content that she makes a lot of money on outside of
0: WWE. Mhm. Um certainly a topic that's received a lot of attention and I think a lot of very strong emotions from people paying attention and um you know, um so many layers, I have to say. You know, to 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 the story in um what you know people might perceive to be a, a is there a double standard um you know with other types of behavior and those not necessarily um warranting releases versus something like this um so Brian Alvarez seemed to indicate that WWE was aware of. Or, at least, like he had said, that that was one version of the story that he had heard that WWE was aware of the fan time existing. Um, and I mean, that it's
1: not, not like true. she was like overtly promoting this, but at the same time, it's not like this was unknown that this was that she was running this, but this was not this was not as um well known as like she wasn't on OnlyFans, which is going to draw more attention. It's just like it is the brand, um. Right. So, but nonetheless so, so like she's a public figure that is out there and these are photos behind a paywall
0: just for those that are not familiar uh with this um so so if they are if they were let's say if they were aware of uh, that she had the fan time page that it that it, it probably more so comes down to the type of content that she was releasing on the page that is the issue here correct
1: yeah yeah i'm i'm certain that like i i cannot say for certain that WWE like you you would assume like that that would make sense. Like this is certainly
0: um, you know, content that is behind a paywall and and and, and, from, that, and from what we've gathered, the content has has maybe gotten more risque over time.
1: It's it's a very sexualized content, yes.
0: Yes, involving nudity, we we should say. hmm
1: So I mean, and that goes to and, and this is important too, is the fact of the agreement that Mandy Rose has with the company of like the language that is stated. Is there a double standard? You know, of course, like that is going to exist in the dynamic between the company and talent. Um, you can bring up the independent contractor argument and certainly like that is one that has been exhausted and and should and should be discussed when they use that for their gain. But then when talent tries to use that for their gain, it's not always uh, reciprocated the same way. What WWE cannot do though in this situation for me though is hang their hat on this decision about this somehow affecting uh, their image. As a company, there is no way that you can send out a officer of the company into a wrestling ring to lead a crowd in a chant of thank you, Vince, who is under sexual allegations and state that this is a black mark on our company, that a talent uh, under their own doing is doing is putting out photos that she consents to that an adult is making money off of. Like, you cannot tell me that this is a bad image for our company when there are, to me, far worse things. Like, I I could care less of talent that are uh, engaging in this, but if the WWE has the power in their contracts to restrict this, and when it comes to talent making money outside of the purview of WWE, that is going to be territory where they are going to clamp down on, and this is something that... Um, it was in full effect during the Vince regime. And this is kind of our first example under the Paul Levesque, Nick Khan, Stephanie McMahon regime of clamping down on something that it's not just the money she is making, but probably the content as well that she is making.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this calls into question, perhaps, like our society's views of of nudity and and sexuality, you know, and how that somehow. Um, is often treated as a way bigger offense than many other things um, that uh, people tend to get into trouble for, and uh, it, it, we're probably very behind the, the times in, in those instances. But um, it's, I think, a bit more. This is of a any- complicated issue, um, just given the nature, of, the vague nature of like these sort of independent ca- contractor um, contracts, and you know i i think the the vagueness of like the what 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 line of punishment i i think the wwe has has shown um anyway please you 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 had a thought
1: no and i was just going to state as well the fact that this is also behind a paywall this is not a case of someone is just going to randomly come like, like granted these photos you know it sounds like there was issues of these you know you are not supposed to be taking these photos and posting them elsewhere that is probably going to happen but nonetheless these are behind a paywall um to me this is a company that when it was uh comfortable with this type of stuff had nudity on its own shows uh with children in the audience so i i cannot uh you know listen to that kind of a uh, double standard i mean i i to me like i just do not see this as any kind of a controversy but it is one that WWE is obviously going to send a message through this from others but you're in a in a position where Amanda Rose like let's let's remember this like she's in NXT right now where she doesn't have to be traveling all over the country she's making a ton of money doing this and when push came to shove like I'm sure they did not just come down and say you're gone I'm sure the option was it's here or these photos and that tells me about this is a lucrative business for her, and not just a side business this can be her her main line of work I am sure, and d- does very well i mean in m m a like Paige van Zant does unbelievable um you know it, it, with with this um and, and a lot of a lot of talent is finding like this is a very significant source of revenue for them,
0: certainly yeah um so you know, in that in that sense, maybe again, this is another thing that calls to question what somebody like her was being paid, you know, as part of NXT. As, I mean, I actually don't really know whether she was on a full NXT contract or if it was carried over from her um, WWE uh, main roster contract. But um, tells you that you know, as, if if you're somebody who has the option of making money via one of these types of pages, I mean, this is probably a much M- more, um, you know, lucrative option that, that's available than strictly professional wrestling. But, I mean, you know, we, we've we seen her growth over the past year, you know, in-ring and, and on the microphone as a professional wrestler. And I think she's been working really hard. She's been taking it very seriously. So not for a second, though, I really think she'll she'll be leaving the industry. I feel like she's probably done a, a bit too much to just, you know, throw it, it all away.
1: It's, it's hard to say because she's one where we, we didn't, like she came up through tough enough. She's been in the WWE system her whole career. It's always one of those questions when somebody leaves WWE and that's the only system they've been part of. Like, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not the easiest line of work. Um, when, when you're looking at, um, you know, different avenues to go in, we will see what her next move is. And, uh, and if she opts to address this, I think that there was a lot of sentiment in favor of her today, um, mm-hmm. where it feels like, you know, she was kind of, You know, the the victim in this whole thing. But at at the same time, if you have a deal with WWE, like it's hard when you don't know what the language is and you know that you're kind of in this gray area that that you're up against and you know what the response is going to be, whether whether that response is fair or not. Yeah, uh, so we'll move on. Um, New Japan held their, uh, their tag league finals today in Sendai. So I got to see the, uh, the, t- the top matches on the show and we had our two winners with a uh, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi, I would say semi-surprising, defeating Aussie Open uh, after 28 minutes and 22 seconds uh, using the, the GYR followed by the Naraku, which is the finisher they used last year to beat Taichi, uh, to beat Evil and Yujiro uh, in last year's uh, final. So back-to-back winners uh, are Bish- uh, Bishimon, and they will now challenge FTR
0: for the IWGP tag titles. I was, I was a bit surprised by this outcome, boy. It's a less attractive match, I would say, maybe for anybody who um, has seen or heard about the incredible match that FTR and Aussie Open had uh, over in England. But I, I think a move like this is a reminder that like New Japan is largely a promotion that is being booked for the local audience, and I don't know if they would have necessarily seen FTR versus Aussie Open as a more attractive match than you know two two more established, and well-known guys like uh, these two
1: and then in the super junior tag league final it uh was yo and leo rush defeating chris bay and ace austin both these teams had really really good tournaments and the end saw leo rush hitting the final hour onto ace austin and then yo who just to me he um he was rejuvenated in this tournament working with leo rush i don't know if it's just him just acclimates better in a tag role, but um, this was, to me, a big resurrection for Yo, and Leo Rush is so underrated. He was great in in this tournament as well, uh, and it's Yo hitting the direct drive on Ace Austin. They win in 21 minutes and 10 seconds, and they will get future tag title shots against uh, TJP and Francesco Akira. But the match everyone was focused on way. Carl Anderson bright lights. Carl Anderson made his way back to Japan to take on Hikuleo. The match went 10 minutes and 23 seconds. And in the end, uh, we have ghetto running in. And from there, there is a chokeslam choke slam spot to Carl by Hikuleo, but he counters the choke slam into a gun stun in midair, pins Hikuleo one two three in ten minutes and twenty three seconds. His first singles win ever in Sendai in this building after losing six previous matches, and then afterwards he calls himself the greatest never open weight champion of all time. He's going to be the champion forever, forever. And then Tamatonga walks out to confront Carl. Tama goes for the gun stun. It's blocked. Carl lays out Tamatonga with the gun stun and tells him, I will see you at Wrestle Kingdom. This guy just walked in. He just walked over these guys and then he exited and he's back to WWE for three weeks and then he'll return to Wrestle Kingdom. I saw the reaction to that. Dude, people hated this match. Um, It was it was not anything special. I do not think Carl Anderson, WWE contracted wrestler Carl Anderson, needed a setup match in the form of Hikuleo to just beat here. And then um I can understand the gun stunt spot with Tamatonga because the big spot will be Tamatonga finally lays the gun stunt on Carl Anderson himself and pins Carl with his own move. So that part was fine. Um Hikuleo though, I mean man, he just got um he was just the, the doormat in the in this match for uh Carl Anderson, but um That is what we have. Carl Anderson and Tamatong. And you can certainly argue that when it's contracted to one night and you have all this talent and Carl Anderson is one of the guys that's going to have a singles match on this show, um, that will rub some people the wrong way. But for them, it's a it's a WWE guy on their big show. And most likely the title change happens in three weeks.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. to me, like the Tamantan, sorry, the, the Hikuleo part of it all just feels like it's it's just a holdover from what they were supposed to do, and they couldn't. Um, I I can't explain, you know, what Gato season a uh, Carl Anderson um, to jump through so many hoops um, to get him, you know, uh, ex- to extend his run all the way to the Wrestle Kingdom uh, where he could drop the title. I mean, may- maybe they consider you know Tamantan beating him. In Wrestle Kingdom, Tom and Tonga beating a WWE guy to feel like a big moment. Um, I don't know if it's going to necessarily um, have that sort of impact, Uh, but, but, you know, I mean, it creates an interesting scenario where at Wrestle Kingdom, you have a lot of different people from very different promotions all under the same roof and the same cart. It is a very
1: unique show. It's a unique week in Japan when you add in Nakamura on the Noah show. You've got uh, Kenta and Marafuji teaming up together. I mean, it's uh, between the Stardom show on the 29th and all through uh, really January because you have now it, – it's crazy. You have the back-to-back Yokohama Arena shows for Noah with, with Muto show teaming with Sting and Darby Allin. Then New Japan is doing Yokohama Arena for Wrestle Kingdom Part 2. The very next day after the Yokohama Arena show is one of three new beginning cards for New Japan that are on back-to-back days. It is just um, crammed with stuff. January is going to be a wild month. Uh, But the other notable news coming out of the show is that at the end of the year, Minoru Suzuki is disbanding Suzuki-gun.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, giving a pretty emotional speech, Minoru Suzuki. A rare uh, you know, sight of maybe watery eyes even from Manuro from towards the end of this speech here. Um what does this mean about his future in New Japan Pro Wrestling? I don't know. Could we get a farewell? Maybe some of the old members will all come back
1: for the farewell at the end of the at the end of the year. Maybe maybe Shelton, Shelton. Benjamin will
0: come over with Carl. They'll get a group raid on the on the flight. He'll probably stay with him. Um you know, maybe, uh, I, I, maybe a video message. I don't think that's out of the question. Harry Smith, um, yeah, maybe, maybe right? a reunion. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Shyster. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, ratings notes from the last uh two nights. Raw did a million
1: four hundred and seventy-two thousand viewers, their lowest viewership since July of twenty twenty one, and a point three seven in the demo. So this was um th- this was not a great week. Um the decline was not that bad, but that's because the first hour was awful. This was like the lowest first hour um that we have data for. A million four hundred and eighty-two thousand viewers for the first hour, which is stunning. It was that low. They were up against Monday night football, but not again ge- the game was down from last week it 's not like it was a crazy game that they were up against um, their eighteen to thirty four audience uh, stayed consistent from the week before, but it was really just that that first hour was really really low, and then they were even lower in uh, hour number three so um, this was a drop ten percent in the demo still finishing seventh uh, among cable originals on Monday but I guess um, this is a show that you can't say that people tuned in; they were just, um, they were not interested from the get-go. So they made up their minds early on on this RAW.
0: Is it a sign of just you know people cooling off on the product, and you know uh, it doesn't necessarily seem like what they can advertise will that make a that much of a difference either way? Yeah,
1: I look at this one as this was just a show that did not have. Um, interest going into the show. I mean, you did have some stuff advertised and you started off with um you had the two number one contenders matches and they started off the show with one of them with uh Bailey and Alexa Bliss and then ended the show with Rollins and Lashley. So it's like you did have matches going in. Um but maybe it's maybe it is some of that of just a um, a bit of a malaise right now as they are in these December months where everyone knows it ramps up next year, but I mean, this was a it was just a not great number for for Raw. So, you know, Canada did great. They were up 25% this week, over 227,000 viewers on Sportsnet 360. NXT on Tuesday uh, did a very good number, 666,000 viewers and a point one seven in the demo. This was uh, among their highest uh, demos of the year. It was uh, third highest this year. They're... Demo was up 27% this week. Um, 18 to 34, their highest number of the year. And as I recall, there was another episode this year that Roxanne Perez was in a big match. And I remember it doing, like, surprisingly strong. And this was a show that um if there was growth throughout the show, it was like the Roxanne Perez chase. And she comes off this match, and they set this up in the first segment. So, I mean, it's certainly something that would be encouraging if you are a Roxanne Perez fan that it like this was and they were also coming off of deadline. So maybe they had uh, a bit more interest than usual, but this was a very good NXT number. They were up to uh, 13th on cable on on Tuesday night. So that was uh, uh, appreciably up from where they were a week ago uh, and sign of the uh, the apocalypse. They did a great number in the US. They did a great number in Canada. It was like their highest number on Sportsnet since March. Wow. It, it has unified the country's way. So big, big news there for, for wrestling fans. And the Vice documentary that we'll chat about, um, on the cafe, uh, it did not a great number. 95,000 viewers, Point zero four in 18 to 49, slightly above what the Tales from the Territories were doing on Vice. So this was not a, um, not a very watched uh, documentary, at least the first run of it. They did air replays afterwards, and I'm sure uh, people will check it out afterwards. But uh, at least for Tuesday night, not nowhere near what Darkseid does. And I think there is something to be said about those shows and that that franchise that there is an audience for, and just a random wrestling documentary on Vice. Um, it, it and this was the biggest subject you could have, I would say, in Vince McMahon.
0: Right. But, but you know, it, it's a time slot that nobody would, would ha- be used to, um, in terms of routine. I would say in terms of buzz, um, maybe there was, no,
1: there was very little promotion for this, like other than that, mm-hmm. that trailer that was going around that, like, wrestling Twitter would have seen. It's not like they were doing any heavy promotion for this that you would know all that much about. Like when Darkseid comes out, like, man. Jason Eisner and Evan Husney, dude, they like hustle on media. They do every show out there. They know who their audience is and they've built like a successful following for it. But, um, for this one, like I would imagine there were plenty of people that did not even know that this was going on and, and maybe airing against NXT. You would not think that would be a big factor, but it's not a help either if you're it trying was a
0: to a big NXT with the title match it, at the it end. was a
1: it was a good NXT number so you were going mm-hmm. against that for the for the second hour all right there you go that is uh, all the news to uh to uh ponder and uh, discuss so postwrestling.com is where you can get all the latest news tonight's show winter is coming from the Curtis Culwell Center in Garland Texas featuring Tony Khan landing the NBA on NBC theme i i love this tune dude when i was uh, like a major basketball fan there is there not a kid my age that didn't, like, play basketball out in the street and had this song in their head as
0: they were, like, shooting. It's the Round Ball Rock by John Man, Tesh. The great John Tesh. The, this was the, uh, the, the, one of the many contributions of Mr. John Tesh. Yeah. Um, this seems to be, like, their, their theme for this Best of Seven series now. That's cool. great. Yeah. Yeah. And that takes us to the opening match.
1: Match number four in the series between the Death Triangle and the Elite. And we get right into things with dives from the elite. And it ends with Nick landing on his ankle on the floor and he starts hobbling around. He waves off the tag. He he just is trying to get his ankle going. Doc Sampson is checking out on him. Taz is noting no ankle support with those, those shoes that he's wearing should be wearing wrestling boots. And then there's an injury to Kenny Omega. They note his shoulder is injured as well. So the elite are just, uh, trying to keep it together here and Nick gets taken to the back. So we have a handicap situation. Uh, Matt does his Northern lights or O'Connor roll combo on the Lucha brothers. Huge pop. When Kenny gets the tag delivering snap dragons and then pack, trips up Omega stopping the dive uh, fear factor to Matt on the edge of the apron. And then we get the maiden in Japan and an inverted splash from Phoenix onto Omega misses with the black arrow. And then Nick limps down, returning to the match receives the tag, but Phoenix catches his leg and Penta behind the ref's back nails the injured body part with the hammer and Phoenix goes along. He applies a knee bar submitting Nick Jackson in 1457 and The Death Triangle are up three-one in the best of seven series. The Elites back are up against the wall. Those fans in L.A. at the Forum—they might not get a match. It's going to be tough.
0: I'm very curious to see how they'll, you know, drive up the suspense, um, knowing that it's very likely that the Elite are going to win the next two. Um, How can they manage to get us to bite? It's kind of like the Undertaker's streak, you know, like it's—it's an expected result, and um, every near fall, I think. Should be a uh, an achievement and should be applauded if they managed to uh, uh get 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 that big reaction. In terms of the match, I I, p- I felt this was probably the weakest of the four thus far, and this was one where perhaps they just kind of needed to largely get through this to bridge over to the rest of the matches. And I certainly don't blame them. You know, seven matches is a whole lot to keep fresh the entire time, and you know doing this frames the elite as bigger underdogs heading into the final three and you also have nick injured Nick's injury as as well so the wrestling was still great but you know as far as like the 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 basic type of match goes i definitely am starting to sense a bit of like you know staleness to some of it having so many of the instances of it in in such a short succession so i definitely welcome the stipulation
1: yeah this felt the most storyline heavy match of the four, I would say it never got to the levels of, you know, the, the first one to me is in a category of its own. The second had the uniqueness with, with the crowd reactions and the, the doing everything in Chicago. And um, and I would say this one to me was I would probably place it fourth as well. It's it's sort of it definitely did have that feeling midway through like it feels like, OK, it's the it's the fourth night in a row where I'm having steak for dinner that kind of feeling. But I I would certainly say like this one certainly felt like that bridge to get to these next three matches that are all going to have stipulations attached to them. So next week in San Antonio, it is match number five and Omega has a message for them that they make the hammer legal. In fact, all weapons can be legal. They want a no disqualification match. So, um, To fast forward to the stipulations, it's going to be no DQ next week. Then in two weeks, if there's a match number six, it will be false count anywhere. And then if they make it to the forum, if they make it way, it will be a ladder match to determine the winner of the series. I think we're going to get a
0: ladder match, probably. I think it's highly likely, although like it would be quite the bold booking move to have the death triangle win in six and then somehow explain it away um <laughs> deprive everyone of the ladder match the audience isn't getting it yeah
1: so man <laughs> think about that stretch of kenny omega over the next three weeks where he's got to do this no dq match falls count anywhere match will osprey at the tokyo dome and then a ladder match back in la with a flight to and from japan in there
0: i think he's making up
1: for lost time i guess so Alex Marvez interviews MJF. This was tremendous. He congratulates Ricky Starks, not on his first good promo, but his first good oratory exposition. Starks had a star-making performance while I showed up at AEW a star and asks him, how many at-bats did you need before you finally hit a home run out there? I made you a star, Richard. You're welcome for the rub. He makes fun of Ricky's upbringing saying he doesn't care. The fans relate to you because their lives suck. They whine and complain. I did have it easy. I was born rich, attractive, fun, witty, and pretty and better than you makes fun of his promo last week for meandering, getting lost in the middle. Everyone wants to see my downfall. Everyone's rooting for you in your adopted home of Texas. And, being under pressure tonight, we'll find out what happens when the pressure is applied to the pebble. Will you turn into the diamond under that pressure or simply turn into dust?
0: Really strong rebuttal I felt from NJF here. You know, great follow-up to, to Starks' promo last week and really the buzz surrounding Ricky Starks following the promo last week. Um, I thought MJF put a great deal of thought and creativity into addressing every single one of Starks' lines. And of course, I think... Delivering the rebuttal without Starks actually being there makes him seem like an even bigger heel. You know, Um, he can only talk big when the other guy's not there to defend himself. Um, I thought it was a really strong backstage interview. It was a longer backstage interview than usual. But, you know, when it's your world champion and when it's the main event, I definitely think the time was well spent. Yeah, I thought this was
1: terrific. The Acclaimed are out and Max starts rapping. He gets a few lines in about bringing the belts back like Brittany, uh, Brittany Griner and then... All teams getting booed like they're Elon Musk. And before he can continue, they are jumped by Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, Sutnam Singh, and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, Bowens gets thrown over the timekeeper's table. And then Caster is outnumbered, leveled with a guitar shot by Jarrett. Uh, Jarrett just got so much heat here. And he gets on the mic. Yo, yo, acclaimed. And the whole crowd is chanting, you suck. I'm hoping that there is some brilliant video editor out there that takes this yo from jeff jarrett and combines it with jim ross when they make their entrance and puts some mashup together of jim ross and jeff jarrett i'm hoping
0: for a jeff jarrett freestyle at some point that's what i thought he was going to do um that would really i think redeem you know how i feel about jeff jarrett appearing weekly in this uh AEW dynamite feud um at some point he's got to start rapping
1: that's the next level for sure Uh, Jared asks if they have their attention now, calls Max a little bitch and tells him to scissor this slap nuts as they hold up the tag titles. And obviously the acclaimed against Jared and lethal is coming soon. Sure, (laughs) man, nothing, nothing for this.
0: It's Jeff Jarrett. And and like, you know, like Jay Lethal's fine, but like the team with Jeff Jarrett is hardly, you know, that, that appealing. And um, to put them into a tag title, challenge situation like it's it, it's just another batch honestly
1: they recap claudio castagnoli beating chris jericho with the giant swing and shivani interviews jericho uh, and the appreciation society jericho calls the swing barbaric and that it should be banned he's going to take his frustrations tonight out on some jobber and he is going to work his way to getting a rematch with castagnoli who will be a flash in the pan like joe exotic and ricky starks then shifts to Garcia losing the pure championship, and Jericho says, You never should have lost to Yuta. You need some mentorship and you need to shadow your elder. And he is now going to shadow Sammy Guevara, and it starts on Rampage when Guevara takes on John
0: Moxley. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, uh, Jericho men- mentioning Ricky Starks in there really for no reason. Um, I mean, just tells you there's exactly. always a reason. What, what both of their programs are going to be coming out of um, uh, this show um i think Guevara and garcia as a sort of like odd couple pairing of like you know the two youngest guys in in, in the uh, faction um, with very kind of different personalities i'm kind of curious to see i'm curious to see what sort of a you know comedic chemistry and just personality chemistry that they might have together
1: Yes, with the uh, the 29-year-old elder, uh, Sammy hmm. Guevara. And once again, putting Moxley on Rampage this week. Uh, we will talk about the Rampage lineup uh, later. Brian cage with a uh, Prince Nana takes on jungle boy, Jack Perry. Uh, we saw jungle boy selling the effects of the, of his neck after that, that brutal apron bomb by big bill last week. And uh, cage controls him, uh, during the picture and picture, uh, they promote the fact that tickets are going on sale this Friday in Winnipeg. I'm very curious what the, what the, uh, the on sale is like this week in, in Winnipeg. Like that's, that's a big arena. It's like 16,000 or so for, for hockey. Um, I'm very curious to see how well they do in in Winnipeg. That might be a surprise of how well they do. Jungle Boy struggles to get Cage off his feet, and then he counters with a DDT. Jungle Boy gets rotated off a German and then a full Nelson slam by Brian Cage. He works on the neck discus lariat and then the f5 is turned into a destroyer by jungle boy goes for the snare trap but prince nana gets onto the apron distracting aubrey edwards as cage is tapping and then cage misses a lariat runs into nana and there's a roll up by perry in eight minutes and 16 seconds beating brian cage and he says he beat luchasaurus at full gear now brian cage he wants the biggest bitch of them all big bill
0: Mm mm-hmm I thought the match was very good, as you would expect from these two. You know, anytime Brian Cage is in there with, with the cruiserweight, I mean, it's it's usually a lot of fun. Uh, and Jack Perry is fantastic. I love that they gave Jack Perry a strong win over a big guy. I think that's excellent. But I don't know if they needed to have Cage tap and get pinned within the same match. Um I feel he's at a level where he's worthy of just a little bit more protection than that, especially since he just won the six man tag team championships on your pay per view over the weekend. Different I mean, company. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You don't have to watch it. Uh, but it, it's a move like this that just kind of tells me those are completely meaningless championships.
1: Yeah. It, it was a nice match that they had. They're doing like this, this giant killer thing with, with Jack Perry. It sets up, you know, this thing with Big Bill well. Uh, and when he calls out Big Bill, how, how are you? Are you sold on Big Bill? It's
0: better than W. Morrissey.
1: Yeah. Okay. Stokely Hathaway comes out stating that Jungle Boy pisses him off to the highest level of pissivity. And he is going to see the bottom of Big Bill's boot and the back of my hand. And with that, Lee Moriarty charges down the ramp attacking Jungle Boy, followed by Big Bill. And Hathaway is on the microphone as this attack is going on on Jungle Boy stating, There should be music. Rest in peace, New Jack. And then Jungle Boy gets thrown into the steps, avalanche into the ring, and then a choke slam by Big Bill when Hook arrives on Dynamite. He comes out, giant reaction, and he comes to the aid of Jungle Boy. And we have
0: got Peter Pan and Captain Hook. Oh, okay. I kind of see it. Not bad. Oh, maybe. Um, I love that the heels, including a seven-footer in Big Bill flee at the sign of Hook stepping into the ring. It makes Hook look so great. He already gets such a great reaction from the audience, but when he had the heels, including a giant cell, um, his appearance like that, I just thought, I mean, it, it made him look so great. And then you have Hook and Jungle Boy shaking hands, and it's another pairing of different personalities that I quite like. You know, in fact, that feud, this feud with these two eventually against Garcia and and Sammy Guevara, I think would actually make a whole lot of sense. These two Um, against each other one day getting absolutely. to that absolutely
1: like there's a lot here um i like this i like this this direction um putting these two as kind of uh you know they don't have to be some permanent team but it's like they got each other's back um the visual of hook one day getting the red rum on big bill uh, I, I think could be great so be a, awesome. a lot that you can work with here and i've been very kind of critical on hook kind of branching out to do something so i was um i was optimistic about this uh direction and a rare time seeing hook on dynamite as well.
0: It's a combination of personalities that I actually am am very optimistic of because, um, you know, hook is somebody who I think has struggled without, um, having a mouthpiece, you know they've tried with uh, Danhausen, and for whatever reason, they just kind of dropped that very cold. And without it, you're left with him like not being able to do much. He's awesome not speaking, but he still has to, you know, have a, a way to kind of build stories beyond just like walking out and like I don't know tearing up um, contracts and and things like that, like he did with a uh, that that group, Trustbusters or something. Anyway, right. one of those, one of those groups.
1: We have the Blackpool Combat Club. No Brian Danielson uh, with Moxley stating how they made a statement at final battle with Claudio and Yuta. He choked out Takeshta last week. That's a small statement. And they're putting everyone on notice in 2023. And they state, you think you're good? We know we're better. And Yuta says, we have to fight like you're already dead. And Moxley says they have one last Jericho Appreciation Society worm to stomp out in Sammy Guevara. And Moxley is going to stomp his face into a bloody mess and leave him for dead. And tells Hangman, you know where to find me. Bring your little Dark Order buddies to Rampage.
0: Yeah, yeah. Bit of a, you know, state of the, the union for the Blackpool Combat Club. And by the way, are they still the Blackpool Combat Club? That's how they were referred to as, Yes. Okay. And um, no Brian Danielson here. uh, Very strategic, I would say.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, More to come with Brian Danielson. Um, Nice video package here with Swerve uh, walking out on Keith Lee and says he gave Keith everything from his in-ring skills to his friendship. Next week, they will have their face-to-face meeting. I have no friends in this business, no family, just affiliates. Just a great delivery from this guy. I does love the, does the wink at the end of his promos. I just, just like the sinister
0: look. I love the little maniacal laugh sort of broken to in the middle of this very quiet, very seriously delivered promo. He, to me is like getting, I mean, I think we definitely saw it, you know, um, driven up to 11 in that, um, backstage sketch where he cut Billy, uh, Billy guns fingers. Um, maybe not quite you know over the top like that um here but nonetheless like the delivery i think is is straight out of a horror movie and it's been wonderful he's bringing like really strong heath ledger joker type of energy but without you know feeling like a cheap knockoff at all this feels totally original he has had a tremendous 2022 and he's somebody who i would bank on reaching the top of this industry next year He's going to have uh, the, uh, the continue this great heel run, and he, it's the type of heel run that I could see being so attractive that the, the fans will turn him babyface. So I think Swerve is going to have a great year next year.
1: Man, that's uh, that's Control B bold statement from Wei Ting. You disagree? No, uh, I, I think he's in for a big year next year. I agree. House of Black against Q.T. Marshall, Aaron Solo, and Cole Carter. Uh, Nick Camarota walks up to Julia Hart and tosses his sucker at Julia Hart who sprays him with the black mist and then House of Black attacks. Um Lee Johnson was placed on the timekeeper's table and Buddy Matthews took Cole Carter and gave him like this pump handle driver and ju- just drove him he came down at like the worst looking angle. This thing just looked terrible. Um hopefully Cole Carter was fine. Mm-hmm. Um but the bell rings. Black hits QT with the spinning wheel kick and wins in twenty five seconds.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, when they say House of Black in action, really, honestly, that, I think they did this, not lie. They were technically in action. This was exactly what it it should have been, you know. And this is why you need the factory around. This is why you need QT Marshall around. You know, it's a showcase, devastating, you know, acts uh, like this. Um, I love the fact that they give Julie Hart the miss, you know, it, 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 it gives her basically like a devastating weapon that makes um, a lot of impact potentially in a matchup um, without having her actually get involved in the match. I, I actually think that's quite brilliant. Um, the house of black have this like hiatus has really like really done, done wonders for, for them. Um, they've, Totally reinvigor- reinvigorated their presentation, and they've come back now even cooler than before. This time, as baby faces and incredibly effective baby faces. So, um, you know, I, I thought we would actually get their first real set of opponents, but like this was so satisfying of like a jobber squash match type of beatdown that I was satisfied, uh, I was fine with it. But um, it's probably looking like what Ortiz and Kingston.
1: Yeah, Is that, that right? should be something bigger that you build to at some point. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something you do in Seattle or the forum, you know, so, so, one of those big shows that they have coming up. Jamie Hayter and Hikaru Shida will take place next week for the AEW women's title. And that takes us backstage. Renee interviewing Britt Baker and Rebel, who says that Hikaru Shida is only famous for breaking Baker's nose. And then Sky Blue walks in and, and Baker cannot believe the audacity of her as she issues a challenge for Rampage and Baker is just confused that this was Sky Blue interrupting her segment. So Britt Baker wrestling Sky Blue on Friday. Chris Jericho comes out and he is taking on the lowly jobber, Action Andretti.
0: And mm. this thing... <laughs> by, by, by the way, what, what a jobberific name, Action Andretti. You know, well, it's, how, the type of, it's the type of name you, you could have sworn they made up. Well, how much better did it get? Um, and this was even better by the
1: end of this whole thing for what they were doing. They show Action Andretti and they put up Chris Jericho's name uh, like his key yeah. up on action and ready, which yeah. I'm sure was a legit mistake, but was actually great. They <laughs> like just treating this guy like a complete, uh, just a joke. So we get chance of let's go jobber at the beginning. And Andretti, at the beginning, he responds to Jericho by slapping him, gets some chops in, and then Jericho attacks. He's delivering punches in the corner where they all yell Ocho at eight. And then Andretti hits a splash off the middle rope. Jericho lifts him up, DVD, code breaker, one, two, and action Andretti kicks out. And from this point on, this crowd was just all behind. Action and ready. And Chris Jericho, um, this was just a masterclass. He mm-hmm. is selling the shock of this action and ready fella kicking out of my code breaker. So they go through the break. Andretti continues to kick out of uh, covers during the break. Jericho's chest is now red from the chops. The crowd has now, uh, they've gone from let's go jobber to singing, oh, bask in this jobber and singing that throughout the crowd. Andredi then fires back with chops, and this crowd, they are so behind him. Every bit of offense gets louder than the last. He hits a neckbreaker. They're going nuts. Then he pulls out a split-legged moonsault. You would have thought like the roof was going to come down when he hit this. Ducks a Judas effect and rolls up Jericho, only gets a 2. And then an Insiguri off the middle rope lands, clotheslines Jericho to the floor, and then hits a a best moonsault ever to the floor. Now the crowd is chanting, holy shit. And Jericho takes over again. A power slam gets countered, and Andretti hits a running shooting star press, pinning Chris Jericho in 935, and the place went nuts. And then right afterwards, Tony Khan announces that Action Andretti was signed. Mm -hmm. This, to me, was... Such a memorable moment, and I thought it was just amazing to watch what they were able to do in nine and a half minutes. They got this whole crowd behind Andretti. Um, Chris Jericho did a phenomenal job in this match. I I just love this.
0: This match, you know, to me is AEW's version of Razor Ramon versus the One Two Three Kid, and obviously with modern takes on I think style. Um, it was a tremendous match. It also reminded me of Triple H versus Chris Jericho uh, for the World Championship, except this time the guy who you know wasn't supposed to win actually won. Um, it was incredible, and you know there are going to be maybe um, some opinions about what was the best match on the show. I think you could go with several, but in terms of like excitement, the, I, I don't know if you, yeah, I, I was just going to say one.
1: like th- this. You could certainly say, like, the best match on the show, if you want to say the trials match, whatever. This was my favorite match on the show. This was my favorite part of the entire show. I loved
0: I, every bit of this. I thought it was just a real stroke of brilliance to take the opportunity. So what had happened, everybody? Um... Action Andretti had a great match with QT Marshall on AEW Dark. And clearly from that point on, you know, people were enough. People had had enough of a look. Tony Khan saw this guy and said, I'm going to sign this guy. And they chose to debut him in possibly the very best way you could possibly debut an unknown. And again, this guy is a relative unknown. I don't know how many people would have ever heard heard of Action Andretti prior to seeing him on Dark, even after Dark. How many people would have-
1: This seen guy's him. had like less than a hundred matches. He's been wrestling for like three years. Like he yes. is very
0: new. So they took that opportunity of a guy who they know is really good, but doesn't have a name. And they put him in a situation of a Chris Jericho match where he just came off of a loss on a pay per view. And they gave him a win off of that loss. I mean, by all accounts, you know, Chris Jericho coming off a total loss to Claudio, with Chris Jericho stating that he's on his way back to, you know, getting a rematch for Claudio. Okay, rehab match against a dropper it makes a lot of sense. I'd never expected them to use this scenario to put over this guy. And they had him wrestle like, you know, a uh, a jobber type of match for the first portion of the match. You watch the first portion of the match, you don't think there's anything different. From that Codebreaker on, that kick out on, this guy started to reveal what he could actually do. The, you know, this dude, like he's mo- he moves like an AJ Styles. You know, he like you watch that QG Marshall match. He he's actually fantastic and they hit it incredibly well from us until the second half of this match. I thought the reveal and it was, was done wonderfully. Chris Jericho's facial expressions at the shock. Um, he's had a an incredible year, Chris Jericho. But like, to me, this is like, this is definitely one of the more memorable Chris Jericho things of the entire year.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's few people I think that could do this to this, this level. Um, that Chris Jericho did. Like, this was just a masterful 10 minutes uh, to watch a guy that was probably unknown to 90% of this audience. And maybe that's low. 99, I would say. And, um, you know, by the end of it, like to go in with this plan and to get the audience into this, le- like, this was a great crowd tonight, but man, they were just. Like they started – like this was total nothing to them at the beginning. It was we're going to entertain entertain ourselves with a let's go jobber chant and it got them – by the end of it, Action Andretti was the biggest baby face on the show, maybe second to Ricky Starks. Like that's what it felt like by the end of this show. Just a, a tremendous um, – just tremendous theater to watch for 10 mm-hmm. minutes um, if you're going to check out one thing on the show. And then you had the announcement afterwards and – you know you have like your protective like these upsets don't typically happen too much in AEW like they protect their guys so much that this had even more impact uh, at the end so uh, this was a home run to me i thought a really great job like they made this guy in 10 minutes
0: yes and you know again to me it's it's part of maybe the the egolessness of a chris jericho to you know sacrifice his star value to be able to deliver a moment like this he could have very well you know done the triple h thing where like gave the guy a great match kick out of the code breaker great you got the you know sort of a, a moral victory here but i mean they went further with it they gave him a win and i mean chris starko does not lose the thing of course coming out of this but this guy he's made you know, I mean, he, I wouldn't I don't want to say he's made, but he certainly made a great, great splash on his first debut. So by this point, everybody knows who Action Andretti is. I wonder if they'll keep that name. I still think it's incredibly dropperific, um, but uh, but we'll see. Maybe he'll make it cool. Then we had Ricky Starks promo. He woke up this
1: morning knowing he's the man and feels just as prepared as the first day he walked into AEW, broke his neck, sat at home, and made sure that he'd come back and do this. Last week was nothing new to me. I can do that in my sleep. No one cares about MJF's accolades. He's got a lot riding on this, people that look up to him. MJF doesn't know about people supporting him. He's a reflection of what MJF would like to be. I'm the coldest MF'er you've ever seen and the most stylish that you've ever seen. Don't forget the name
0: god damn like i thought mjf's rebuttal was excellent and i thought that that was all all we were going to get pro-wise from this feud until the match um they had ricky starks come back with round two and i felt this was two weeks in a row where he's outclassed mjf on the mic and 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 again mjf's material has been strong this entire time but starks delivery is really just like It's next level. It is excellent. Um, And again, this is the way a wrestling feud should be. You know, you have an incredibly strong heel being overcome by an even stronger baby face. So both of them are are doing exactly what they should be doing. Um, They've created just in two kind of promo exchanges, like an incredible rivalry on the microphone. They deserve an extended feud. And I think in the future, we have to get that because, man, they've shown incredible chemistry on the mic together.
1: And also, just like further building the main event, like the main event was not left to mm-hmm. its you know final twenty minutes of the show. It's like we built throughout the show. This is the main event, and we're going to hear from both. And it's just building up the anticipation throughout the the two hours of
0: mm-hmm. these two going to. And meet. you saw it—the payoff by the time we got to the main event felt like a big, big match. Then we had highlights of FTR. And uh, these two unknown
1: brothers uh, from Sandy Fork that I'm not familiar with as a TNT, TBS viewer um, that we're showing hmm. on television. Um, so there were brief highlights of the dog collar match and an FTR cutting a promo on the ass boys. And they're going to kick their asses. They're building a legacy. And now Austin and Colton have their attention. And that's going to be next week on, on the show in San Antonio. Jericho's having a tantrum backstage and probably some follow up next week. Ty Mello against Ruby Soho the match that is 101 days in the making Excalibur notes since All Out very quiet time in AEW's history since uh, All Out And then Soho attacks her on the floor, and then from there, Mello tries to leave and then gets grabbed. And the story of this match is Ruby is out for revenge, and revenge means I'm going to break your nose. And Mello knows that Ruby needed reconstructive surgery, so I'm going to break your nose again. So both of them are just trying to break the other's face. That was the story of this match. Soho drives Mello uh, face first into the turnbuckle, and then repeatedly rams it in, then Melo comes back with a pump kick into the face, hits a god pile driver, Soho kicks out and then lifts her for the tie KO. The move that broke her nose at all out, but instead, Ruby stops it, knees Mello in the face and hits no future for the win.
0: I thought it was a really strong match. You know, um, you already have a story built in here and I thought the intensity and in the sort of like vengefulness from Ruby Soho was really... Like it really came across to me in the match. The crowd was hot for it. And also, um, I just think like, her aggressiveness and intensity were very good. Um, I think Time Melo's been really a she's been a fantastic heel, you know, all year. And um this was probably the point where, you know, she needed to have her strongest, most obnoxious performance, and I thought she absolutely delivered that. So coming out of the match I I felt Soho, you know, felt like a pretty hot commodity.
1: And as Ruby Soho is victorious, Anna Jay attacks her from behind and levels her with a gory bomb, smashing her face into the mat, and Ruby grabs her nose.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. And the nose Maybe she, was... she, she could borrow Pax's mask.
1: Perhaps. Perhaps Pac's uh, nose will be recovered in time for Ruby to adopt the mask. Then Alex Marvez goes to the trainer's room for an update from Hangman Page, this poor guy who is recovering, who is being shuffled from city to city every week. And he says, what, you want an update? You want to ask if I still have migraines in the morning, if I get dizzy in the shower? And he describes being face-first down in the match, snoring for 60 seconds after the lariat from John Moxley. And he describes being checked on afterwards and being asked several questions, including what's the date? What city is it? Who are you wrestling? And then they show hangman page, his cell phone with his son's photo on the phone. And they, they ask him, what's your son's name? And he couldn't remember his son's name for 10 minutes. And he said, I've been to hell and I'll fight Moxley. But if he wants to send me to hell again, I'm bringing him with me. Um, so this was, uh, I thought, just a tremendous uh, segment with Hangman Page. Could not remember his son's name. He said for an hour, for an hour, he couldn't hour. remember his son's name. Yeah. yeah.
0: I I, I think there were so many ways he could have gone with this promo to just explain that fact. You know, that very heartbreaking fact of like, I can't imagine, you know, not, not knowing my son's name. um, and, and being so lost and feeling just like so helpless that I, I don't even know something that, that should be the most important thing to me. Um, I thought he could have simply said, I had a really bad concussion. I couldn't remember, you know, a lot. But, like, the way he kind of took us there to explain, like, the concussion was this bad. um, I thought was wonderful and, and very emotional and a reminder of just how great of a promo this guy is on a show with some pretty great promo.
1: Dude, there were some great interviews on this show. Mm-hmm. Some very, very solid promos or oratory expositions. Rampage on Friday. We've got John Moxley against Sammy Guevara, Britt Baker against Sky Blue, Wardlow is in action, and then a promo to set up Dustin Rhodes in Texas, teaming with Orange Cassidy and the Best Friends with Dan Housen in their corner against The Butcher, Blade, Kip Sabian, and Trent Seven. So four matches listed for Friday night, which is being taped tonight in Garland. Then Dynamite next week, the holiday bash. It's uh, match number five of the best of seven in the no DQ match. Hater and Sheeta, and then FTR against the Gun Brothers. That takes us to the main event MJF and Ricky Starks for the AEW Championship. And, and the ring. And the ring. You're right. The Dynamite uh, Diamond Ring is on the line. It is winner take all. And MJF early on, he's doing Ricky's pose. He does the strut and then eventually gets frustrated and goes to the crowd. And then MJF starts to uh, work over Ricky Starks. He's applying an abdominal stretch, driving the knuckles into the side and working over like the injuries that Ricky Starks has been selling over the past month. We see a a Liger bomb by Starks. The crowd is very much behind him. And then MJF targets the elbow and the arm to weaken it for the salt of the earth, Uh, hits a power bomb onto the knee. a two-count crowd is into all of these covers Starks eventually hits a spear but then MJF regains the advantage gets the salt of the earth onto the injured arm the crowd's going wild then he figure fours the arm he hyper extends both arms so he can't reach the rope then he reaches with his foot he takes the leg of Ricky Starks and suddenly we see him uh, become Max Saber Junior,
0: and <laughs> very good. Yeah,
1: the final, the one limb he has is his other foot that makes it to the rope. Um, a great sequence here mm-hmm. and and tease of a submission. Uh, MJF is avoiding the Rochambeau.
0: There were a few issues at times when each was lifting the other that it seemed like they, the the balance was off. But I felt like you know at least for Starks he had the excuse of having a bad arm and the ribs, and, and it I think was he a struggle, he was kind of selling it. You know, yeah. So it comes
1: down to MJF avoiding the Rochambeau. He hides behind referee Paul Turner, pushes him aside, and with Turner's back turned, kicks him low and uses a small package to pin Ricky Starks in fifteen forty eight to keep the title and for the fourth year in a row, the Dynamite
0: Diamond Ring. Hmm. I thought this match was outstanding. You know, um, first defense from MJF, and it was excellent. You know, it's not so much a shock at all anymore that he's as good in the ring as he is on the microphone. In fact, I would say expectations for him to steal the show as the champion are are there every single time now. And I thought he absolutely delivered, as did Ricky Starks, who I think more than proved that he is a main event player throughout the course of this reign. I mean, by all accounts, you know, MJF's first Title defense. You wouldn't think there'd be this much drama because it's pretty much a given. Especially with Brian Danielson kind of being built up as a real challenger for a, uh, you know a bigger match down the line. I mean, how many, how much would you uh, get into Ricky Stark's challenge? But because the promos were so good, because they strategically placed, you know, used him as a challenger in these Texas shows, um, I thought, I thought they turned this into something way beyond what it should have been, and I. Uh, a real star making performance a star making a couple of weeks for Ricky Starks, yeah,
1: and that's I always look at you know those setups where you know the the immediate reaction is, oh, it's such a predictable outcome. It's like if you do the work and you build up your baby face, all you are creating is that that moment of doubt for your audience that maybe this will happen. And on this show, you saw, Action and ready pinned Chris Jericho 45 minutes ago. And could this crowd get? Uh, caught up in the moment that Ricky Starks in Texas could win the title yes they did because they mm-hmm. were going off multiple near falls believing Ricky Starks could win this match because they believed in him and if it's a Chris Jericho direction I think there's way worse options for Ricky Starks to go after this uh, in oh, terms yeah. of like a solid program um, that comes out of this that still keeps him in a in a main event sort of a focus
0: yeah you're talking about perhaps you know two of the Four MVPs coming out of the show, you know, being paired together in, uh, Chris Jericho versus Ricky Starks. Um, I think that's a wonderful pairing. And I mean, it's one that I can see Ricky Starks coming out of as, as the victor, um, just to kind of boost him over to that next level. But I would love to see MJF versus Ricky Starks revisited in the future. I think these two could be career rivals with even greater Pro Bowl battles, you know, within the two of them. Both on the mic and in the ring, they've shown to have incredible chemistry. So I I, I could see a whole lot more for them in their futures.
1: And then as MJF was leaving, Brian Danielson's music hits. He comes out, chases MJF, who runs through the crowd and Danielson tends to Ricky Starks and keeping everyone's direction on Brian Danielson chasing MJF both literally and figuratively for the title. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of the show, a really entertaining show. Um yeah. very good Excellent. match. I mean, the trios match, um, it, it wasn't uh, the best of the series, but it but it's fun. still. Exactly. Exactly. It's still Snake. Mm-hmm. And it was like an entertaining trios match. I love Jericho and Andretti. And mm-hmm. some of the promos on this show were very. Top notch like uh, yes. moxley 's too, like the BCC promo was very mm-hmm. strong, uh,
0: Swerves was very strong I, hangman yeah, hangman of course, yeah, and then
1: yet you your main event participants like th- this was a very well rounded show, and I, I thought it was um, w- w- one of the better dynamites I would say in in recent memory, so strong great. show out of uh, Garland, Texas, and a great crowd crowd added yep. a lot to that main event to action mm-hmm. Andretti, they were they were very much uh, very heated uh, for these two hours. So that is the review of Winter is Coming. Do you want to go into feedback first? Way? What do you want to do next? Um, do we have much of it? We have a bit, yeah.
0: Um, let's save it for Patreon, um, and and the cafe. So all of you guys, right now, I you know because we're going a little bit over the hour. Um, let's let's save it for for that. We'll start off with your feedback, and then we'll get into our Vince McMahon documentary review review.
1: Okay, so we will let everyone reset. We are going to reconfigure and meet you over at postwrestlingcafe.com. We'll be going up in just a couple of minutes with our review of the Nine Lives of Vince McMahon documentary. Uh, patrons at all levels get access to the show, so we hope to see you over there. And uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in to Rewind a Dynamite.